Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum, so glad you joined me today. Today we're going to be taking a look back at 2023, look ahead to 2024, and who better to do that than someone who lives in yesterday, today, and now, uh, one half of the tag team, and now you've seen him on the show before, Vic Delicious. Um, I've always just had a really good time talking about wrestling, wrestlers, and issues in wrestling with Vic Delicious. I think he's one of the better guys with a veteran perspective that's able to kind of encapsulate everything that goes on in wrestling. He's done all sorts of different roles in wrestling too, creatively training people and such. So, and he's wrestled for pretty much most of the companies you're going to hear about here too. So, um, we're going to be looking ahead. It's New Year's to 2024, taking a close back to 2023. So, here we go now with the year in review and the year ahead with Vic Delicious. So, pleased to be joined today by Vic Delicious. Vic, how are you doing today? Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. Phil, 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 Philip, thank you for having me. It is absolutely positively your pleasure. Uh, How is it spelled on there? It's spelled correctly because it's a mobile order. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, F-Y-L-L. Yeah, Phil and I always have this uh, joke back and forth that we have our names misspelled. Quite, quite often, and you know, it's. I think it's hilarious that they misspell Phil. I don't know how that gets done. Uh, and delicious is for me misspelled all the time. So yeah. we have that in common. It's your funny. last name. What, what can you do about it? <laughs> <laughs> what can I do? Um, so, really, uh, for the listeners, this this episode was sort of born out of uh, Vic and I just talking about the wrestling world one day back and forth and me realizing, you know, this would be a really good podcast and you know, Vic is really good on podcasts. So, <laughs> you know, we were, we wanted to, for full disclosure, we're recording this on December 8th. This is coming out on January 1st. This is going to be kind of our new year's content, but we're going to kind of look back at the year that was uh, 2023 in pro wrestling and the year ahead, 2024 in pro wrestling. So happy, I guess new, year. All, happy new year, even though, uh, you know, it's still, in reality, not New Year yet, but it is by the time this will be uh, this will be out there in the world. But what wrestling did you find yourself enjoying the most in 2023? Uh, man, in preparation for the show, I kind of was going back and thinking all about this past year, and it really feels like uh, like five different years all in one. Uh, wrestling has this way of. Uh, always moving like this and sometimes the waves are further apart and sometimes they're really close together and 2023 to me was one of those years where it was really close together um where you would we would have the business at the highest of highs and then all of a sudden there's a low and then boom right back up high with something um and it was that crazy news cycle really 
Um, and as far as athleticism goes, uh, I don't feel that we've ever seen a year like we've had in 2023. And the wrestling business constantly continues to evolve. And athletically, we're at the peak of where professional wrestling has ever been. Um, storytelling has been some of the best on television that we've had in the last few years between both, um, or excuse me, all of the major companies. I don't want to just limit it to two. Uh, yeah. So it's been a crazy year. And for me personally, I've been kind of in the mix with, uh, some of these guys and just heard some of the stories and been in different situations and um, just kind of had my finger on the pulse of what's been going on. And um, as much as you really can from the outside <laughs> and it's, it's a crazy year. The, the professional wrestling um, is a, um, a, at times a very easy thing for people to talk about because it's a super water cooler esque did you see what happened? Did you see who came back? Did you see the story? Like WWE is really big with adding social media and um, uh, YouTube personalities to their programming. So it's all of the different genres and generations all having something to talk about all at the same time. You know, you got Bad Bunny and Logan Paul and uh, it's really combining all of the worlds into one and there's room for um, every kind of like of professional wrestling because there's a version of it out there and likely it's on television. We're at a point right now in the end of 2023, beginning of 2024, where you could watch a new professional wrestling show almost every day of the week. That's yeah. unheard of. That's crazy. Um, People don't realize like when we were younger, uh, we would have to wait for basically the hour of wrestling that was available to us on Saturday if we wanted to watch the WWF. Yes. Maybe two hours on Saturday night at 6.05 if we really wanted to get ambitious and watch the Superstation. But yeah. there really wasn't, you know, this, you know, it's it's the push of a finger now and you're just going to get what you want. The, the interesting thing with WWE for me in the year that they had is what I really liked about them and it's different than their social media stuff and different than their, you know, use of attractions and stuff like that. It's been the long-term stories. I've never seen a story that WWE has produced last as long or be as effective, even from a business perspective as the bloodline. I've, yeah. I've, I've, I don't think I can remember a story like this during my fandom. What, what have you thought of it? I agree. The, when you thought just when you thought it was at kind of its peak, it continued in a way that was still very interesting. So um, it's kind of like uh, you get a sequel to a movie without the movie being turned off. Every time that the storyline seemed to peak, but then have continuity into the next. And the way that all of the characters if we're going to talk about it from a story point of perspective, the way all the characters have interacted with each other and everybody has had some kind of a history with everybody else that they are doing a wonderful job at doing callbacks on. So, I mean, even, um, 
the the Sami Zayn stuff is what I I most I was very drawn into that development of where that was going to go, and then finally last year with the turn, and then um, leading all the way up to Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And then the Uso turn and the story that that's led to. And um, now you add in Randy Orton to the mix. And, you know, there's there's a lot that can happen there. And the Royal Rumble is going to dictate a lot of where the future stories go. But everybody kind of has a little bit to do with everybody else. And having those interactions and having that stuff um, replayed through their, their videos each week on television and keeping you reminded that everybody's got kind of something going on with everybody else has really made it great television and they haven't abandoned it, which is also yeah. really important. They stuck to it. They, you know, declaring that Roman Reigns is one of the longest reigning heavyweight champions of all time. And that whole feud, like it's just, um, something that they didn't really necessarily do in the 2000s. Makes it feel more special, too. And, and it's interesting now as they've rolled out some other long-term stories. They've got what they have going on with the Judgment Day. They've got what they have going on with Damage Control. And even if you go down to NXT, the stuff with Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams has been playing out for months on end, which will probably culminate yep. somewhere, too. So do you think that... It, First of all, for the Judgment Day, what's interesting to me is that that has lapped through multiple changes in creative and stayed consistent, probably mainly due to Paul Heyman and some other people pushing the right buttons there. But do you see the Levesque takeover of the creative process as being a positive in WWE? I feel that we can't look at it any other way other than it being a positive because of how interesting the television show is and how um, uh, it's be- it's it's moldable. So when there's a, a something that comes up that's something for them that's hot for them to run with, they're able to stick it into the program and make it still work. Um, and the CM Punk stuff would be a great example. You know, a couple of weeks ago, they had no idea what they were going to do. And all of a sudden he's already in segments and got, you know, the merchandise and the plans are rolling and they're going to rock and roll with that. And if somebody catches that's hot in NXT and they're ready to bring them up or like they, they just run with that stuff. And it's great. I think the, the NXT guys being able to have the long-term stories where the problem no, I don't, there's, it's never a problem, but I, uh, one of the things that's been a deterrent for the developmental program was people being pulled out of the system too early and being pulled out of that system without having the opportunity to really sink their teeth into the meat and potatoes of what professional wrestling is when you have a chance to like tell your stories and tell them long-term and develop the nuances with your body language and what works and what doesn't in front of what crowds and all of, all of those things, and it ne- didn't always necessarily, talent didn't get that time in developmental to have those opportunities. And there are a lot of times getting those very first storylines and angles and stuff on the main roster for millions of people to see. You know, we're getting the Carmelo Hayes run through. that Bron- The Braun Breaker stories were great. And um, 
you know, he's getting a chance to be really seasoned and really developed before he gets brought up to the main roster. And he's just one example, I feel, of a guy who's really benefiting from that system. Um, yeah. You know, we personally, I've had a chance to watch him grow his whole career. So it's great to see him making the most of all of the opportunity that he's got and the place that he's at and learning and constantly like there's not a time that I watch that guy where he's not getting better, just incrementally better every time. So, you know, and they're not getting plucked out of there. There's a couple yeah. guys where they've been brought up and then they get brought back down. And I think that's just uh, previous generations that was looked at as like, Oh, maybe you went up and you failed. Mm-hmm. Now I think it's uh, just to give you that taste to give you an idea of what that system is. So that way, when you go back to your training and you go back to uh, the performance center, you have new motivation and new things to work on and new direction for where you want to hone and perfect um, what they're looking for. And, and that's also a thing that the other major company doesn't have right now. Yeah. And one thing for, for people listening who, who might be wondering, uh, Vic Delicious actually has experience being very much around the WWE developmental system, having previously wrestled in Ohio Valley Wrestling in the uh, in the in the aughts, I guess we call it now, or the two thousands, exactly early two thousands. Early two thousands. So you you definitely. What's wild for me about the current iteration of developmental is it's happening on USA Network and like. Peacock and Hulu. Like, so people are actually getting to watch match one, match two, match three of like talents. But at the same time, it's generating a grassroots movement towards the people that they like and then a desire to see the people that they like on bigger stages. So while it's, I don't think any wrestler really wants match one searchable. But you know, you know, to use an AW example, uh, you know, back when we had the guns on this show, Colton Gunn mentioned, like, "Yep, my first match. It's on YouTube. It was in Daly's place. It was on Dark. You could go find it." You know, like mm-hmm. that's just wild that we're getting to see literally like yes. ground zero of, of development. I think there's a change in philosophy there too, obviously, and it probably has something to do with how the people that are in charge of that system have looked at it. But uh, previously it was, they wanted to hide you in developmental. So you had a chance to do that stuff and work television in Kentucky or Florida. And the only people that saw you were the people in Kentucky or in Florida. And they prefer that it wasn't shared out there. And they preferred that there wasn't a tremendous amount of, um, the tapes being put out or stuff put on YouTube and they would go after that stuff vigorously at one point here um, before there was a flip in their philosophy. You know, they, there was a time where guys would have whole careers in developmental and then they'd be brought up to the main roster and their name would be changed and they were a whole different person than they were. And that used to create quite the issue when they tried to go back to developmental like weekend or finish up their storylines because now they're two different characters in the same realm in the same universe. And it was, you know, weird having people follow you your whole career is, at this point is very um, the real world kind of thing where Truman show ass where people are 
being able to feel like they're a part of this person's journey the whole time. It's why vlogs work so well. And, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of times they want to cheer for the, we always want to cheer for the underdog and watching somebody sleep in their car and eat gas station food while they're following their dreams is inspirational for people who, you know, have lived that or get that or want or tried that themselves and didn't make it or um, something couldn't do it for one or another reason. And it, it makes for um, a whole different kind of audience than just a professional wrestling audience too. Yeah. Connecting on a more organic level there. Um, who's, who, is there anybody who stands out to you as somebody you think is going to uh, break out in WWE in 2024 that, uh, that you've noticed? I feel the stage is very much set for Damian Priest to break out in 2024. Uh, Isn't that wild, too, that here in 2023 we're talking about a 40-year-old guy that went through the developmental? And, you know, he's not the only one. No. (laughs) This is a very different wrestling business that we've had. But they've invested in the character, and it's at the point now where he's had as much television exposure as if you were to take a younger person and put them on TV for two or three years, you know. uh, And he doesn't show any signs that he's this uh, aging, broken-down mule. That's for sure. Um, The... The character is getting over, you know, at times they've, the reason the judgment day I feel has done so well is they've been able to shift that story between who the leader is and letting it organically develop, you know, edge to Rhea to Damian priest to at times even Finn Balor and watching Dominic and um, JD be the bump guys and learn like having an opportunity. It's like evolution style where they're getting to learn from some of the best. Um, you know, that whole group is, it's, it's really awesome. And Damian Priest, his age, I feel it's just not even a factor there. The fact that he's got that money in the bank contract, the fact that he has never had that, um, you know, no main event runs in him. Those are all fresh matches. Those are all, um, brand new money making opportunities. And he's, I feel he's proven that he can talk. He's proven that he can wrestle. He has delivered when he's had the pressure put on him. Um, There's not too much you could ask for out of a guy in that position. You know, he's, he came up the right way. He was there the night I broke my leg. He was on the show. Like he's, that's right. I was there. (laughs) Like he's been through, uh, he's been through the whole system and done it just how you're supposed to do it. And um, anybody that has an appreciation for this, uh, has got to be rooting for him in a certain yeah. certain way, whether and, or not he's a bad guy on TV or not. And certainly, shout out to, you know, obviously he came through the WWE Performance Center system in NXT, but also proper credit to Danny Cage and the Monster Factory and other and others and other promotions he came through also to, uh, to really shape who he is. Yeah, I didn't expect to go here, but like aging in wrestling, does it, does it matter anymore? God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but like we, hey, you know what? We're sitting here now. We're talking about Damian yeah, Priest. Just it's weird. Old. LA Knight's 40 years old. These are people in our generation in 2023 who are still yeah. receiving 
huge opportunities because they still look good. They're still they can still do it. They might not necessarily have the mileage on their bodies yeah. that other guys who have maybe been in WWE longer may have because of the travel and and because of the schedule. But it's it's pretty. I mean, even yourself seeing opportunities that you're getting at this stage of your career, you yeah. know, however many years it is in, it's like there's still a, a, a hell of an earning window for a lot of guys. The there's never been a time for in, in the, in professional wrestling that has um, seen guys in their forties and even early fifties in the athletic shape that they're in. It's their prime almost, as opposed to being in their late twenties, early thirties. And there's a lifestyle adaptation that I feel has happened across the board where it's not the, we all know the stories of the wrestlers of the seventies and the eighties and how they ran and what they did when they weren't wrestling. And even while they were wrestling and even though the style is a little bit more, um, at times high impact or high risk uh, guys are taking better care of their body. Now we have a much better understanding of nutrition in 2023, 2024. We have some of the best um, nutrition or sports therapy where you can rehab injuries. I mean, Randy Orton rehabbed a spinal fusion and came back bigger and leaner than ever before. And he's 48 years old, right? I think he's 48. I think he's 43 or 44. I think he's a little bit younger than me. I'm 44. <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I thought something the other day, maybe 46, but either way. Yeah. It's guys didn't do that 30 years ago. They didn't go away and come back from spinal fusion surgery in the best shape ever. And that was so, usually the end if you had some sort of fusion on your spine. Absolutely. You know, like you yep, look at even AEW now, it's like Edge is, I think, f- almost 50 or 50. He was 49, yep. I think, when he came back to AEW. But, you know, he's had a triple fused spine. Like, and he's back and looking like he is and performing yep. at the level that he is, too. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's actually, it's honestly nice to see. I know people are. I think people need to readjust their clocks a little bit to, oh, this person's so old. Why are they doing this? Why are they still doing this? You know, because aging is different now, and across the board, people are working at different times of their lives. And you know, it's just, yeah. it's not, you know, you know, maybe twenty years ago, thirty five might have been old. <laughs> like, right. yeah, but, yeah. For sure. It's just it. You're, I mean, there, there's at least probably 20 guys on the main roster of WWE in their 40s right now. Yep. And it, it's it's well, it's the, just, yeah, the, the run for a guy, a professional wrestler, too, is how long, how many years do you get in that system and on top? Realistically, you know, there's not a whole lot of 25 uh, year careers, so you're 10 or less probably um, before we're even talking through that system. So. Uh, it's not like lifers anymore too. There's life after wrestling that a lot of guys are also preparing for. And some people didn't get into it until they were in their thirties. They started really late, which means there's still a lot of miles left on their body. Um, I went, I, I started when I was 19 years, 18 years old. So I've been doing it for 23 years, but straight 
<laughs> like I yeah. didn't take any time. Uh, and I had to, I had to like readjust my strategy on how I was going to take care of my body and see how I felt. And I feel right now, I feel just as good, actually even better than I felt when I was 30 years old. And that's that I never thought that I would say that or feel that way, but to the idea that I would have to stop wrestling right now because I was 40, like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't feel that at all. I, like, I don't think that I'm like, uh, you know, like overstayed my welcome. No, you know I, I, you know how some people I, I, feel that way. I don't feel that at all. Like, and, and you and those other veterans, you also have like you're smarter than you're probably working smarter than you were when you were in your twenties too, in terms of what you're right. doing in the ring too. So it's like. It's that so maybe that's another reason that I'm just going to credit now in 23 and 24 for why wrestling is better because we're actually using veteran wrestlers correctly. And before I go into AW, I'll say too a piece of that NXT PC piece is that they're sending wrestlers from the main roster to NXT to wrestle those guys yeah. that have zero experience. So Guess what, guys? Guess how you get better in wrestling? You wrestle yeah. people who are better than you. Yeah, you can, that that can't be like overstated. How much learning goes on in the ring? Uh, I, you know, Hale and I wrestle at ISPW. It's an independent promotion in New Jersey, and we've been working with talent that is younger. And you constantly realize how much is actually like on the job training and how much you're really doing that while you're in the ring in front of people. And you have to be able to wrestle guys that are better than you to learn. You have to, that's how the craft is passed from one person to the next. You can't read it in a book. You can't, uh, sit and listen to a seminar. It's, it's one of those things that you actually have to do and absorb it in the moment and be in the experience. Uh, and that is guys who have been in those positions and been around for 20 years, working with guys that are brand new and having the veterans wanting to teach and having the younger guys wanting to learn. And if you're in a scenario where both of those things are going on, I've never been around it where it isn't an, a, tr a tremendous environment and everybody's improving it by leaps and bounds where there's, you know, there can still be ego involved. There'll always be ego involved in pro wrestling, but it's to make each other better. And if the end result is to make everybody a ton of money and be better at this whole thing, it's win-win. Yeah. So moving on to AEW now, I wrote down a couple of things I like about them and maybe a couple of things that I don't like about them. Um, great pay-per-views, maybe the best in the industry, maybe the best in the industry ever and just in terms of overall quality. Like if you, if you really look at their whole catalog of shows, um, amazing numbers of crossover opportunities between promotions with them. They, they, they partner with just about anybody they can – uh, they, they, it, where it makes sense. Like I don't think I don't think it's partnerships that don't make sense when they enter into one, and just a wide variety of styles in that company too, where you don't always see you're seeing different things all the time. For me, the uh, the negatives on their side for, for AW are storytelling that's a little bit inconsistent and not. It's kind of annoying over time where you, you miss a key 
detail or something. And just for me too, in 2023, when the main company is PG, I feel like they cross the line of decency a little bit too often in AEW too. So what do you see about AEW? What do you like? What, what don't you like? I agree with all of your points that they, all of those things are definitely um, points that I've done. I've considered and thought about too. And the, uh, the edginess of their product is, there's never been a wrestling company that has been considered edgy that didn't go too far and have to be pulled back. All of them have at some point. Yeah. All of them have. Yes. So there is always this finding where your line is and that process usually isn't fun. And you just hope that they're listening and they've learned where their line is. And the troublesome thing is that we're the line's been established now and hopefully you know, we've seen it be teased a few times where they're, like, they're going to go back to that well and it's like, let's just stay away from it. And, you know, like, it's hard to be edgy and not push the line. And that right now, the other company's doing PG and you have to be different. So I get it. The, yeah, me too. The um, thing I'd like to see is the television shows uh, the, the, the having a brand new company and this buzz behind it. There was, how could there be a wasted TV show? Like the, the Friday show when it was the rampage, I think it's called there's yep. collision, there's rampage and then dynamite too, right? Dynamite's Wednesday rampage, yep. Friday collision Saturday. So the rampage show there, it was like when it first was announced, all this buzz behind an extra hour of TV on TNT. And then it became like missable. It wasn't like it was, uh, something to watch. And the, I couldn't find, I, you wouldn't see the advertisement for it or you didn't know who was on it. And there was no like big buzz behind it. And AEW has the ability to create a buzz behind every show. They have s- such a, wide depth of a talent pool to choose from that you could literally have matches that you've wanted to see your whole life on every show. And like they can build it however way they wanted to build it. But I would really love to see every television show they've maxed to to have them maximize the most of every hour they have on television right now. Um, I've really enjoyed the, uh, influx of new, unheard of independent talent that's getting an opportunity on the show. Like um, Andretti has been awesome. His his match against Jericho where he got this opportunity and they tell that story again where a guy gets the surprise win over the veteran, the one, two, three kid Razor Ramon story. Um, you know, it's been cool to see him do his stuff and seeing um, El Hijo del Vikingo and all of these really like you know they get a lot of flack for their their stuff necessarily not making sense but their matches aren't about that and if you remember watching like uh, for example wcw nitro uh the luchador matches they were if you listen to eric bischoff talk about why he had those matches and why they put them on television they're there for a reason and it's not so that you could have the 
the psychology match. It's so that when someone's flipping through the channels and they catch this dude doing this giant backflip over the top rope, they're like, whoa, what was that? You know, and it's for making the highlight reels of the shows and stuff. You know, it's it all has multi-purposes, and it's not to, like, you know, I don't know. I think I have more sense as a wrestling fan to know what that's for and why those guys are there and to appreciate their athleticism and their talent. And um, got like gravity too. Is I thought that <laughs> that it was cool having that guy come out too. Um, that match that he had on the on the one episode of Collision. Maybe we'll take that one against the House yeah, of Black out of the next week. But the fact that there's just guys that are getting a chance to like get out there and make a name for themselves that wouldn't have ever gotten that opportunity. It's very. It reminds me very much of an opportunity guys got on Nitro and WCW yeah. back in the day. The you were one parts. of the first people to tell me about Orange Cassidy. I mean, and Orange Cassidy is yep. a huge star now. Like, and I, yep. I, I know that you saw him and some of the early parts of his career. Yep. A lot of people forget that he was in the colony in uh, Chikara. And he actually did one of our House of Hardcore spot shows where he was the red ant. And he was on the show awesome. I had never seen him live. It was the first time I had met him. And when he was done, he got a bonus on the show because he was out of everybody there. Just incredible. And to watch him go through the ranks and to become who he became and uh, – to become such a huge star it's it's really cool he's my nephew's favorite wrestler so i actually have uh well it's after christmas now but he got an orange cassidy action figure for christmas and they have tickets to the december 27th dynamite down in uh, florida which is a couple days ago as you're listening to this uh (laughs) but you know big fans in that that respect but uh the guys, guys getting that are homegrown AEW stars too. Uh, I have an appreciation for that. MJF uh, has worked his ass off to get where he is at. Fought through a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. He had to stand up for himself. He had to go through a lot. Say what you want about him, but you know he's worked his butt off to get to that spot. So, and when you think of AEW, you think of MJF. And like we did with WWE. Um... Do you have a breakout star for 2024 that you're thinking about? I am, man, I'm a secret Sammy Guevara fan, hmm. which is kind of uh, probably a surprise, but I actually enjoy him quite a bit. I think his mixture of being quite braggadocious and athleticism, um, he's got a lot to bring to the table. Uh, hopefully he gets just a little bit more size and a little bit more um, muscle maturity. But I see him as being somebody that can be uh, somebody that they count on going forward. One thing I'll say to wrap up AEW before we go into some of the other companies, uh, which uh, will probably be a little bit less of what we put into WWE and AEW, but I think the pacing of the AEW television show and the, and their television tapings is a problem. Uh, I attended the collision uh, ring of honor tapings in Newark. Uh-huh. And that was approximately probably almost a six hour show. It, you know, the bell time on the ticket was six 30. It didn't end until about 1207. By the time the show ended 75% of the crowd was gone. 
conversely to that, as I said, we're recording this on December 8th. I went to the MLW tapings last night in Long Island City, Queens. Smaller promotions, smaller venue, fewer people, better pacing, better choices for matches that are happening after the live broadcast ends that are keeping the audience in the building after the pay-per-view broadcast ends. So I think they need to pay attention to that. And and it, it feeds back into your point about you need those destination matches on all of your shows to keep yeah. the interest. WWE does that also at the SmackDown tapings with their dark matches that happen after the tapings end. Yeah. You know, they, they, they pick the right things that people are just going to stick around for. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the solution for that is for AEW, but they need to get there. I think that the, the solution is in the consistency. And there's been a lot of tumultuousness going on uh, surrounding that company. And the best that they could possibly ask for is for all of that stuff to calm down and for them to be able to just focus on uh, their storytelling and their wrestling. The Continental Classic is a fantastic tournament. It was uh, everything that you would want out of a wrestling tournament for an American audience. The matches were easy to understand. The point system didn't get too out of control. Um, I always thought that the G1 was too confusing, so it would never work here. Um, And they eliminated what was really super confusing. And, um, you know, capitalizing on that was a perfect time to like start establishing some new stars, start establishing some new stories, and then get back to the business of having great, a great wrestling show. And anybody that's not interested in doing that right now for them is, should be an afterthought. Yep. Let's move on to some of the other promotions. There's three that I see in the U S maybe a fourth, depending on how you go, that are kind of the other main players uh, in the wrestling realm. We'll start with the NWA, which is somewhere that you have, wrestled uh on on power and on usa for me what makes them stand out and and moving forward into 24 is they may be getting some television exposure to um a different company a different look a different cadence a different you know different wrestlers that you're not seeing other places and just also just a really experienced locker room that has more of like an old school kind of feel to it. What do you, what do you see about the the pluses and minuses of the NWA as you uh, as you turn the calendar to twenty four? Knowing, of course, that you also have wrestled for this company too, so you you have some firsthand knowledge. <laughs> um, the the biggest quality for NWA that I have noticed as like. As a watcher, like as an observer, and as well as a performer in the company, is they have made a a focus that you follow the rules, and the referee isn't buried. So you have this framework now that you have to stick to when you wrestle your matches. You cannot. Uh, tag without holding the tag rope. You cannot get in the ring and not get out of the ring in five seconds. You can't hold a chokehold for longer than five seconds. They will disqualify you, whether that was part of the plan or not. Uh, And I've enjoyed that aspect of the NWA because it allows me to start to, like, I I can focus on the characters 
and not focus on uh, necessarily like what the chicanery is going to be or um, what's happening here or how did he get in and like how did that that didn't make sense and like how can that guy be legal when he didn't tag and how come both these guys can be in the ring and the referee's not throwing somebody out and like uh, be able to turn your brain off a little bit like, a little, just, just a kind little of, bit just yeah. watch wrestling and it's awesome it's, it's what I've always loved about it and it's one of the things that we've loved about competing there is that that framework allows you to uh stay within the confines of the rules and then it shows you who the bad guys are because when they break the rules it's very easy for you to understand why they're a bad guy um you know and nwa i feel is also done in that same regard a very good job at establishing who the heels are and who the baby faces are who you should be cheering for and who you shouldn't on their programs it's very very simple and easy to understand. And then you get an access to guys that are up and coming and from areas that you wouldn't necessarily have seen get an opportunity yet at this level. A guy that stands out to me right now, Colby Carino, the NWA junior heavyweight champion. And he won the title from Kerry Morgan in the NWA uh, at the last pay-per-view. I think it was uh, in September and has had up until this taping right now, 14 or 15 title defenses. Um, he looks good. He is putting his body to the limit in those matches, and he's taking an opportunity to stand out. That's awesome. I, I, I'm super happy for him and interested in following his career and where it goes from there. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of guys that have had that story. And EC3 right now as the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion looks the part wrestles the part, talks the part. He looks like a world's champion. There is uh, no doubt about it. <laughs> and he backs it up when he's in the ring. So for whatever detraction people had for um, Tyrus being the NWA world's heavyweight champion, EC3 makes up for that in spades. So um, they're poised right now to take the company to that next level. And it's all really um, – Billy's vision and what he wants to do and how far he wants to take it. And he keeps everything very close to the vest. He doesn't let a lot of people in on what the future plans are. I know that next year, the smashing pumpkins are touring with green day. That is a huge tour. Um, this year, the wrestling, the NWA was part of the smashing pumpkins tour. I can't imagine that there'll be just a complete separation. So the NWA will be in front of, Lots of eyes, uh, whether it's live wrestling, whether it's just highlight videos that get played at a concert. I mean, who knows where it goes and what happens there, but uh, their recent TV deal, clearly they've been put on the CW app. Whether or not that means live shows will go on CW as well, who knows. But um, I definitely feel that they've carved out a niche space for themselves, and it's finding the people that are looking for that kind of wrestling that really needs to be the next goal. I feel I, I appreciate the long game that they had. I think people were when Billy Corgan first purchased the intellectual property, the NWA and started what his idea for relaunching it was. I think people wanted it on TV right now, but he, you know, and he mentioned this uh, in interviews. He may have even mentioned the one with me, um, but just about kind of like being ready for when that moment came 
to have the infrastructure in place, to have the production in place, to have the right team in place, to have the right team backstage in place so that they, when they needed to, could just be like, yep, well, we have a TV ready product already. Here you go. You know, it's, it's, it's an impressive because a lot of people will jump before they're ready. And he kind of, for whatever reason, I'm sure he was trying behind the scenes for a long time to get what he wanted, but I feel like they're ready for this moment now. And it's, 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 it's kind of cool to see just another player sort of get in the mix where uh, it, it wasn't before and more opportunities for the wrestlers, more opportunities for us and to try to carve out time in our schedules to watch more professional <laughs> wrestling, which is amazing. Um, well, as, much as, as much as the roster is big, the roster is small too. So yep. they have the core group of guys that are their main stars, and then they rotate uh, other people around them, giving people opportunity as well as uh, letting the main stars get some uh, highlight matches in too. So it's really a throwback and – you know, I was comparing their rosters with like impact and impact wrestling and how impact seems like it's has such a big roster, but it's really, it's the same. It's a core group and they, they bring in some, some people here and there to freshen things up, but the same core group is really who the stories have been built around for the last few years. So, um, and I think that that's important for the fans that have been sticking around all this time. Mm-hmm. Investing those people. As we move on to Impact TNA, I'll be perfectly transparent in that I have not watched a ton of Impact in the last I don't even know how long. I've I've swooped in on it. Like I've I've come in and I've gone out. I've been to shows. That's the thing. I, I I consume it when I hear that there's something that I need to go check out. I go find it. They're, but they're that for me right now. And it's similar to where Ring of Honor was with me probably in about 2006 or seven. Like I heard a buzz about something and then I'd go find it. So yeah. it's interesting that they're leaning back into the TNA branding. I know some people think that that's not maybe the best idea for whatever, but uh, they are. It's what they feel their identity is. But they, like to your point, though, they do have that core of guys. Like they have Chris Saban and Alex Shelley, and you know, I'm trying to think of some of the other Eddie people. Edwards. Yeah, and um, Frankie Kazarian is there, and the they have better game. momentum than they've had in a while. I feel like, like I, yeah. it's strange, and I wouldn't have expected it necessarily, but it's there. Like I was at a show of theirs uh, in Poughkeepsie when they did one of their pay per views last year, and the crowd for the pay-per-view was okay. The crowd for the tapings was not. And it was just like, all right, where is this company at? But they've really kind of created some matches and some moments since then that have kind of gotten them back in the conversation. So where, where do you kind of see them in uh, 2023 as I accidentally bumped my microphone? Well, it's weird because just a couple of weeks ago, it was almost the rumors were that CM Punk was considering to go there. Like they were actually and they offered like, Will Ospreay reportedly a lot of money too. Right. Right, so it's uh, <coughs> excuse me, it's not um, within the realm of possibility that they get some major stars, and that used to be like how TNA was, and I think that they're making a play now to be considered one of the big main companies again, and I feel that when they were purchased by Anthem, uh, it was Anthem, right? Mm-hmm. And they really took the time to like 
get small and find out what they were and what kind of company they were going to be and start to rebuild from there because when they bought it, it wasn't necessarily a uh, profiting machine. So a profitable machine. So now they have a brand that could actually tour. They did some really smart things by uh, spending some time in Canada. And their home base had really been Nashville and Florida. And in 2023, they spent a lot of time in Canada. They actually brought in some, you know, local stars from Canada who hadn't had much exposure on the national scene yet. And there was an injury to Josh uh, Alexander, which really forced a couple other people to step up. And, you know, and, and just even Josh Alexander, his rise and him being, uh, you know, somebody that the company could count on and that could be a world champion. And they have just like so many guys and so, so much talent there. And they don't, um, the television show, when I watch it, when I can find it, seems to fly by because it's not like they're cramming everybody into every episode. They are perfectly content with knowing they're going to get 10 guys on this one and then maybe another 10 the next week and it may not even be the same people but uh, we can just show a video video package of what happened or whatever and um, you know the the shows they don't feel like crammed and they're they're not hard to watch or hard to follow but it is hard to find it and I agree with that assessment that uh, how I consume it's on YouTube Mm -hmm. I have found a channel that puts their puts the show up either a day or two after and I watch it then usually on Fridays uh, but I've and I've enjoyed the stuff that I've seen it's been really cool to watch Alex Shelley and Steve Macklin and Chris Saban and uh, our good buddy Tommy Dreamer the digital champion as of uh, right now uh, but yeah you know they are poised to take that product to a, a bigger level. They just need the the marketable name to put on the posters and the flyers for touring. You know, but they've done really well without having to do that. So, yeah, it, it's wild too because I think one of the reasons that I when I stopped watching TNA weekly, which would have been right before. Aces and eights, actually. So it's been a long time since I watched them weekly. But, like, that was a part of the problem. It was the watchability of it. And, like, hearing now that, like, you could sit down and it flies by as a two-hour program, that was the – that's the opposite of the TNA that I left. So that's (laughs) that's good to know. Is there anybody over there that you see that – uh, you mentioned so, so far. You've mentioned uh, the Priest for WWE. You mentioned uh, Carino for NWA. Uh, who did you mention for AW? I'm trying to remember who your uh, AW is. Uh, Guevara. Right. Yep. Who's your impact uh, person to watch in 24? <sighs> that was a good one, but uh, his name just went out of my head. Uh, he was in. He used to be in one of the ra- the Rascals tag team, I believe. Uh, Wentz, Zachary Wentz. Yeah, I, I enjoy Wentz a lot. Uh, he just came back, right? Yeah. And he, who, right. Do you remember, who's his partner? His partner for this? Yeah, 
was Wes Lee, who actually Wesley got injured in NXT. Yeah, and who's his partner now? Uh, Trey Miguel, I think. Yes, I like Trey Miguel as well. Both of them uh, super talented, and they have come uh, a long way from when they first started. Um, on the world title front, Steve Macklin did a great job stepping up and being a world champion in that Josh Alexander injury and actually seeing a real solid heel run out of him. Uh, he was very easy to hate. It was it was really good. Moving to MLW, which, uh, as I've mentioned, uh, we're probably this is probably the last one we hit other than kind of talking a little bit about the indies towards the end here. But uh, it's December 8th. I was actually at their taping uh, and their fight plus uh, show uh, December 7th at the Melrose Ballroom in Long Island City. To me, what stands out with MLW, they, they've been such an interesting company to watch. And then, of course, we have to mention for full disclosure that they are in the middle of a lawsuit with WWE regarding uh, monopolistic, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, so for me, it's their smooth production. Like they, they they do a good job of making things feel big, even if they might not be as big as you as they are in the crowd. If that makes any sense, like their their product looks smooth, and they do have a lot of they have a lot of good crossover stuff happening, starting to happen right now too. I mean, I'm sitting there last night, I'm watching a Tokyo Joshi Pro Championship match in Queens. I'm watching Rock watching Rocky Romero wrestle Mascara. Uh, Dorada from CMLL in person. Like, how am I seeing this in Queens? Just yeah. <laughs> like, so like, when you look at MLW, what do you what do you see? Uh, I watched that match and I thought it was awesome. By the way, uh, <laughs> I but, keep forgetting that it was broadcast because I was there. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really good. Uh, I, I agree with you on the production, man. Like the the one thing when I was watching that show yesterday, I thought, wow, that production is. Uh, really on point. The production for MLW shows has always been really, really on point. Their settings for the arenas always look great. There's never a time that it doesn't look big league uh, with the video monitors, the sleek turnbuckles, the ring aprons, the entranceways. Uh, it, it's it, it sometimes is even like Fight Club esque. Uh, I've really loved their presentation. I've been a fan of it ever since I've watched it. I've followed. MLW since before when it was just an indie promotion and then Court's resurgence from being in WWE to starting the podcasting world and he's the one who introduced everybody to Conrad and then yep. uh, you know then you know he got back into running shows and I have really always thought that Court Bauer is the best asset for MLW because well number one it's his company obviously but he he, he's following his vision for how he feels wrestling should be and presented and he sticks to it and he firmly believes in that vision. And if you're on board with it, then you're on his team. And if you're not on board with it, you're not on his team. And, and, and he's a fan too. I mean, yeah. you know, the conversations I've been able to have with him uh, at times over the years, it's just like, he came up through, I actually had to ask him flat out, like, look, I know who you are as a fan, but I have absolutely no idea how you got where you, 
bar and he told me the whole wild Samoan story oh, and yeah. yeah and all that stuff so i had just always kind of known of him through message boards and other things like that over the years and just didn't know his whole deal so it's, it's interesting to get that kind of perspective the other thing that's fascinating for me is i look at wrestling in 2024 is paul paul Heyman's fingerprints are literally everywhere because WWE, you can't go through the main event right now in WWE without going through Paul Heyman because he's Robin Reigns' guy, he's Brock Lesnar's guy, he's CM Punk's guy, he was Ronda Rousey's guy. So basically, if you want to do anything there, you're going through him creatively anyway. AEW, you have Tony Khan who went to ECW shows as a 12-year-old. Uh, NWA, you have Billy Corgan who was an ECW fan who actually appeared on ECW television. Yep. MLW, you have Court Bauer, who grew up going to ECW shows and is very much part of that thinking. And then an impact, oh, you just have, you got Tommy Dreamer. And Bully Ray. And Bully Ray. Like, so, he, I mean, it's funny the way that ECW and that yeah. way of, and, and if you want to go further and further up the tree, you've got Dusty Rhodes, you've got Eddie Graham, you've got Bill Watts, and like, you've got all sorts of fun little branches of what's making this a really interesting time for pro wrestling. Well, think about what the thing that made ECW this, this counterculture uh, phenomenon was the ability by Paul Heyman to create an enemy. And <laughs> the enemy in the WWE an enemy that he was being paid by. <laughs> <laughs> That's even the best part. Yeah. And the the problem is, is that nobody in wrestling can create that enemy anymore. And they're all trying desperately to be this rebellious. Not, I don't say they're all. It's a very general statement. But I see there, is, you mean. there is a tendency to be this rebellious counterculture uh wrestling when the thing that made Paul Heyman and ECW so great was that they were outside the box thinkers and they were doing things differently than what had been done ever before and to truly 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 stand out and be the the money making counterculture phenomenon you're gonna have to do something that nobody's ever done before and you're gonna have to do it differently than anybody's ever done it before and you're gonna have to have your unique stamp of approval on it and everyone hopefully can take what they have learned from what paul Heyman's taught and shown and done and put his uh because his fingers are in every part of the professional wrestling business and look at how they can take that and be wildly different and stand yeah. out and be wildly creative and be the next thing that everybody else is trying to be for the next 25 years because that in and of itself you know and it takes it takes catching lightning in a bottle for sure it's much easier said than done it's having the right vision the right leader the right locker room the right exposure and the right time in society, but a lot of those things are present right now. Yep. And it's whoever's going to be the ones that have that ability to live in the now 
and realize that it's the opportunity right here to take that big leap and be the thing that stands out because everybody thought, you know, AEW was going to be the, the far and away number two. And what we're seeing is that the field has leveled a bit. The playing field's a bit more even. And it doesn't always, the riches, the spoils always go to the person who's got all of the money, the person that has paid for the best locker room and for all that stuff. And it's oftentimes Paul Heyman showed you that it's the ones with the heart that can do it. And the ones that believe in themselves and believe in the vision of making the next greatest thing. So I'm not so sure that the number two in pro wrestling, by the time we have this conversation next year is exactly the same. That's really interesting. And it's also, also, by the way, I had no idea I was doing a double episode today, but we totally did. But I would say too, that like, you know, it's uh, all the other alternatives have relatively deep pockets. So it's like, nobody's really in danger of like, Oh my God, how am I going to make payroll this week? How am I keeping the lights on this week? It's, it's, it's creativity. It's, it's ways of distributing your product. And I've been saying for a couple of weeks now, almost the exact same thing you just said that instead of focusing on number one, AEW should focus on staying number two because they have company at three, four and five. And if you want to go deeper too, we can, but like, New Japan is still doing some things and globally GCW is still drawing crowds. Like it's like, this is not a, this is not a downtime for pro wrestling on that note. Let's talk a little bit about the independent scene. Cause it's, it's, it's what you are also a part of yep. uh, in addition to the other work that you're doing. What are you kind of seeing trends wise that, you know, are out there in the indie world right now? What, what, what kind of indie stuff is standing out to you? Well, the indies in the last, the second half of this year kind of took a hit and have been a lot slower than they were at the beginning of the year. Uh, As far as like bigger shows where you're selling out high school gyms and whatnot, the smaller shows like armories and uh, church halls and things like that are doing pretty well. And I feel they've always done pretty well. The 250, 300 to 500 people, uh, those indie shows as long as they're promoted well in the area that's a run of the show, traditionally do well. It's when you're trying to draw 1,000 to 2,000 where the names right now aren't available for those shows. And AEW changing their taping schedule to having a show on Saturday has really hurt the indies because a lot of the guys that were able to still work indies under AEW deals can't not be at television. And if you're an uh, indie guy that's wrestling on AEW or Ring of Honor, if they're in your region, you're going there because you want to have FaceTime. Right. So it's tough right now for the Saturday shows, Saturday independent shows, to really get a lot of uh, legs. The Legends of the 80s, Legends of the 90s stuff seems to be doing pretty well. And when there's a show attached to it, the show does well. Uh, fans stick around from the convention to the show. If they do it, do it the right way, it seems to do okay. Um, but you know, there's only a couple of really like unsigned indie stars right now that are the hot commodity. So the best advice I could ever give at the point of we're at right now is to 
as an indie wrestler, spend as much amount of time getting over as you possibly can. Have as many people at the end of that show talking about you and remembering you as you can. And it's just, it's social media followers. It's creating a buzz in the building. It's having people talk about you. It's having people saying that they want to come buy tickets to see you wrestle. It's about uh, going on your merch store and buying something here or there. And it's a groundswell of support. And that is how you're going to get to the next level right now is standing out in this environment because it's, it's a prime environment to stand out. And I'll say that one of the more enjoyable matches that I saw in person in 2023 was a part of one of those uh, legends conventions, the eighties wrestling con uh, in Morristown, New Jersey, which was yourself and Hill Collins, the now taking on the powers of pain and the headbangers. And you would think of a match like that and you wouldn't think like, Oh, that's going to be so much fun. But it was like <laughs> you guys double suplexing the barbarian for crying out loud, the barbarian in 2023. <laughs> that was awesome. Very awesome. Yeah, man. Like uh, th- those, those shows seem to do really well. The fact that the barbarian and the warlords don't want to get in there and actually wrestle and mix it up a little bit. The fact that the headbangers are like, uh, they're still good. We're gonna have another match with the Headbangers in twenty twenty four. Like they're they're pushing for it, so we're gonna it's gonna happen. Uh, I just don't know where, but we're gonna have it happen, and it, it's awesome. Like I never imagined as a kid that I was gonna wrestle the Headbangers when I was uh, in this business, especially after being in it for over twenty years. Uh, well, you guys are the young pups in the match. Yeah, we were the we were the young kids. <laughs> you know, the last the show that this. Northeast Wrestling did at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center in late April was the last, uh, you know, real big indie show that was promoted that way with uh, talent that's still on, that's on television as far as like in this area. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how we go from here in 2024 with indie shows. Um, if you're a local independent wrestling company that has been doing really well, and there's no bigger one to come in and take your uh, shine. It's it's a if you if you're establishing local people and they're starting to get a following, maybe some smaller companies will start to rise up this year. We'll see. Yeah, it's NWA's got a territory system now, so I was going to bring that know. up too. I mean, that's an interesting way, you know, because the the one thing about you know we're talking about forty year olds still wrestling, fifty year olds still wrestling, sixty year olds still wrestling, but. The way that you always build for wrestling is have the eye on the future. And WWE's got that with NXT. NWA's got it with rebuilding the territory system with the Exodus Pro and then the Joe Kazana one that they just recently announced with with NWA. They've all got some sort of idea of where the pipelines are. And honestly, as odd as it sounds, AEW, as contracts expire, is sort of going to end up becoming sort of a pipeline to WWE anyway, because there's no way you can sign all of those people. It's just physically impossible. So they're going to get people like they did with Jade Cargill and Cody and Punk and stuff like that. It's just going to, we might be back into the Monday Night Wars era, sort of jumping back and forth. Oh my God, this person showed up here. Oh my God, this person showed up here. And I think that's right. okay too, because that, that that actually was really fun when it was happening. So, um, nice. with that, I think we're going to wrap this up now, Vic. Uh, I love doing this. Like, let's let's yeah, do man. this more often. Uh, this was just us, just 
chit-chatting about it. everything. It, awesome. I, it flew by when I looked at the clock when we hadn't even talked about like MLW or NWA yet, and we were as far in as we are. I, I knew that we were having a pretty good conversation. So, yeah, thank you so much, and let's uh, let's put this on the calendar. Maybe we'll do a meet. Let's let, let, let's hit the midway point in June, and uh, everybody follow Vic and his tag team partner Hale Collins on uh, on social media. Check out what they're doing. Big things uh, in the NWA when they're there. ISPW Northeast Wrestling is where I caught them in the last in the last year. Um, veterans know how to get it done. Like still young veterans of of, of the mat game. Phil Strom stamp of approval, man. I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, thanks so much. Happy uh, New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you too, Phil. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank my guest, one half of the now, Vic Delicious. Might as well thank his tag team partner, Hale Collins, who is not with us today, too, but you know you can't really thank one of them. They're still a tag team. You can still catch them on the independent scene uh, wherever you find your independent wrestling. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Under the Ring for all the latest guest announcements. Have a happy new year, everybody, and have a great week. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.